This season is sponsored by Gorillas, the sexy grocery delivery app revolutionizing online shopping. Fresh food delivered to your door in 10 minutes, catering to all your food loving needs. Sign me up. Operating in major cities in the UK and globally, Gorillas supports small businesses as well as local producers to bring your favorite brands to your door. And just to get your juices flowing, they are offering all listeners £10 off your first order when you spend £20. Download the Gorillas app and use the code SEXY10 at checkout. Hi, and welcome to the Crazy Sexy Food Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Harley-Young. This podcast is all about the love of food and how it plays a part in our lives. I sit down with well-known personalities, food experts, chefs, and people who just love their food to find out all about their life, career, and their favorite tastes along the way. Today, I'm joined by the original rock and roll chef of our time, a man who at the age of just 32 was the first British chef to receive three Michelin stars, Mr. Marco Pia White. We are here at his hotel, the Rudlow Arms, and I couldn't be happier. I feel like I'm amongst food royalty, which is true, actually. Marco is one of the most well-regarded chefs in the world. His life started in Leeds, then on to London, and his name is now global. His food is the epitome of the British culinary scene. He put it back on the map in the 1980s through his classical dishes and continues to rock the industry. He started off working under some of the most famous chefs in the world, been a part of many of his own restaurants, and even had a retirement period in the middle. What can I say? The man's a genius, and it's a privilege to spend some quality time with him. Marco, welcome to Crazy Sexy Food. Hannah, it's nice to be sitting with you. <laughs> um, this, I have to say... Um, it's been a long time coming for me to sit down with you and I just have to say thank you so much for inviting me up here. Thank you for including me. No, absolutely. It's, it's just my pleasure. To sit with you and to have known your mother and father for many years. I regard today as a privilege, well, as an honour to sit with you and give you a little insight into my life. Thank you. And I say that from my heart. No, I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. I have to ask you, you may have never been asked a question like this as the first, as the first question. What did you have for breakfast today? Well, I always have a three-course breakfast. Do you? I have a cigarette, a coffee, and a cough. <laughs> Every day of my life. Why do you think my voice is like it is? A combination of Marlborough, an espresso. It's as simple as that. It's the most delicious recipe ever created. Is there any food passing your mouth? No. Okay. So every when day, would you have your first meal? Every day starts the same. Okay. A Marlborough. Red, of course. Ooh. Like the great Anthony Bourdain. Yes. An espresso without sugar. And then a coffee. It's three courses every day. I was once asked what was my favourite dish, and I said the ashtray. But that was in the days when you could smoke. I went to a restaurant, and the major asked me what my favourite dish was, and I said the ashtray. Now, what did he say? Oh, speechless. Yeah. Very my response. But you can never lie in life. You mm. must always tell the truth. 
To lie is to be a fraud. Absolutely. As I said, we are at this beautiful hotel, the Rodlow Arms, um, and you know well, you've it's been. The house, it's a house of it's dysfunction. It's a house. Yeah, but it's a house of dysfunction. Okay, explain that. Because every house, every household, every family has its element of dysfunction. It's just to whatever extreme that dysfunction is. If you look at every family, including the royals, that's what makes us all normal. That's what makes us all real. Life is the most delicious fuck-up ever. And embrace it. And when you make mistakes, always take the knowledge from the mistakes. It's like as a young boy. I came from humble beginnings. And I never thought I got a, an inheritance. But when I was in my 40s, my late 40s, I realised that I actually was given an inheritance. And that was the memory of my mother. You may not think that's an inheritance, and maybe it wasn't, but the knowledge within those memories was my inheritance. What my mother gave me was so enormous, so special, so rare. And that was the key to the door To discover oneself is the secret. So the loneliest road in life is to walk down the road of self-discovery. If you have the ability and the courage to walk down that road of self-discovery, when you get to the end of it, what's interesting? Thank you, Nigel. What's interesting is then you should know who you are. And then it's your choice whether you have the courage and the strength to accept yourself. If you can accept yourself, then you can be yourself. You can fall in love for the right reasons. You give for the right reasons. You love for the right reasons. And most importantly, you now have the opportunity to realize your true potential as a human being. Because you do everything for the right reasons. And that's the truth. And when did you realise all this? At what point in when your life? When I was life? in my 40s. When you're in your 40s. And so today, I do things, I make things, I create things. I've gone back to my childhood as a little boy when my mother was alive. Mm. Watching my mother make patchwork quills by rags in Leeds Market and create all those things, make clothes for us, make delicious foods simple. Because remember, the most important gift you can be given in life is struggle. Because when you're gifted with struggle, then you appreciate things. The simplest of things has the most enormous value. Think about it. Mm. And your imagination continues to work. Your dreams continue. Because when you're young, like I was, I was fueled by my insecurities, my fears, that want to be accepted. But 
fueled by your dreams. Mm. Because really, at the end of the day, all I ever wanted was to be accepted. I never wanted to be famous. What I've learned is privacy is freedom. Celebrity, you become a prisoner. Yeah. No, no, no. I live in a world with no bars. That's why I never leave Rodley. And when I do, I'm always unhappy. I can't, I crave to come back to her. So I make what I make because I believe that every young man in this world should build a monument for his mother. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I build this for my daughter. So when I'm gone, if she marries an individual who doesn't treat her kindly, and she has children, and she's a prisoner of her world, well, now she can escape yeah. and take the children. Mm. She'll be fed, she'll be watered, mm. she'll be housed. She'll have her stage to be herself. As I say to my daughter, you'll never have to work in your life. But you'll have to work hard to, to keep what you've been given. Mm. I hope that answers your question. Well, I mean, it sort of answers all sorts of things, but I have questions from your answer. Um, Sort of taking it back to that childhood you were talking about, you know, you were raised in Leeds. Can you kind of paint the picture of what your childhood was like? Would you like it in black and white or colour? Let's do it in colour. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> Let's do it in colour. <laughs> Full colour. Full colour. <laughs> yes. Kodak, black or white or go. full colour. <laughs> and you would know all about that because I you're your would. father. Absolutely. And I prefer your father's pictures in black and white than yeah. colour. But you're asking me to deliver it in colour. I do want it in colour. Okay. I don't know if you know, and I'm sure you do, that I, as a child I suffered a great tragedy. I watched my mother die. What was interesting on reflection is the impact it had on me and my brothers emotionally. Mm. I was six. I was there. My brother Graham went fishing that morning in his red t-shirt. It was a February, but it was a sunny day, blue sky. And I begged to be allowed to go fishing with him. My mother and father wouldn't allow me. I watched him walk through the back field with his fishing basket and his rods in his hand, craving to go, paining that I wasn't allowed, watching me out of the bedroom window. Shortly afterwards, my mother collapsed with a brain hemorrhage. And I watched it all unravel. And in those days, you didn't call the ambulance, you called the doctor. The doctor came two hours later. By that time, my mother was fucked. Completely. And then, I watched them put my mother on a stretcher and carry her on a stretcher to the ambulance. I watched the two doors close with the Red Cross on the back in those days and drive up the hill, not knowing that that would be the last time I saw my mother. So remember, I was fueled by great insecurity. 
by great fear. My entire drive in life was to be accepted. Because when you lose your mother at a very young age, one, it makes you incredibly insecure. Mm. But two, and the silver lining within the cloud, is you retain your instincts. When you're brought up with your mother and father, and you're protected, you don't need them. They dissolve away within you. Think about it. Very true. Very true. And so therefore, all my life, all I wanted was to be accepted. And when I reflect back on that stage in my life, the one thing, all the people who protected me and guided me had one thing in common. They told me stories. They shared with me. Amazing. But at the time, I didn't realise. It's not until I reflect back into my early life you know, today, I do things for the right reason, not the wrong reason. And it's as simple as that, Hannah. Do you think that you're accepted now? Do you feel accepted? I don't care. I'm Marco. And if people don't like me, that's fine. Mm. But I know the people who like me mm. love me. And I love them. It's real. Mm. And that's what's important. It's very easy to be a show pony, where you plait your hair, you strap in a few ribbons, you strap on your tail, and off you go. How fucking boring. Mm. That is probably the hardest tragedy to ever experience, and I'm so sorry that you had to do, go through that. Can I say something? Everything I've been given since is compensation from God. But the truth is, I wasn't looking for compensation. But that's how I interpret what God has given me. And I accept that I've been privileged. I accept that I've been lucky. Being lucky to work with Albert Roux and Michel Roux, Pierre Kaufman, Nicola Dennis, Michael Lawson at the Box Street, Mr. Reed and Mr. Long, Mr. Lamb, all from the Box Street. Lucky. Seriously lucky. Raymond Blanc. And if it wasn't for all those men, I would never have achieved professionally what I achieved. But remember, in life, what you achieve professionally is boring. Mm. It's what you achieve emotionally. I feel like you're speaking the things that I think about when I'm in my thoughts but I never say out loud well that's because you're young yeah but one day you'll, you'll find the courage within yourself to accept yourself and once you've accepted yourself then you can express yourself mm. and you can be Hannah mm. you can be Marco mm. you can be Brian you can be George you can be Gary who cares mm. Find that inner courage to be brave. It's very important. And let's not forget, the only people who discover love are the brave. Mm. Touching on your childhood, can you talk to me a little bit about the food side of things? I want to know what you were eating as a child, 
Who was cooking? Was food important? Well, firstly, my mother was a beautiful cook. My father trained with British Transport Hotels at the Queen's in Leeds. And when you think, when you think of those great British Transport Hotels, the Queen's in Leeds, the Midland in Manchester, the Royal Station in York, the Adelphi in Liverpool, Red Eagles, Turnbury, the list goes on. Because when, when they built hotels, British Transport, they were stately homes. Mm. And they were run like stately homes. Mm. But they all had one thing in common. They all had that little specialised restaurant called the French. And if you look in the Egan Ray Guide, in the 60s and 70s, and you look at all those starred restaurants, how many of them were in those British transport hotels? And in the French, they only had the French chef. And my father worked with a man called Paul Labarbe. And Paul Labarbe was the head chef of the French in Leeds at the Queen's. And he went to work in Harrogate at the Grand, which was the smartest and the grandest of hotels. <clears throat> my father, Paul Labarbe, invited my father to work for him. And when I was 16, my father told me I had to go to Harrogate and find work. It wasn't until years later when I was filming for apprenticeships, I got off the bus. I first got off the bus in 1978. And there's the camera facing at me. But over the shoulder of the cameraman in the background was the Grand Hotel. And the page dropped. The reason why my father sent me to Harrogate was because of his regrets. He obviously regretted going to Harrogate, not going to Harrogate, not taking the opportunity with Paul Labarbe. Think about it. And that's why he sent me there. Mm. To realise his dream. And the first thing I did, my achievements, realised my father's dreams, not mine. But that's what a boy does for his father. It's very important. My father's been a miner and had gone down the mines. And he worked in the mills in Leeds and had gone to the mills. And he worked on the land and had worked on the land. My dreams as a boy was to work as a gamekeeper, as a riverkeeper. I never wanted to be a chef. But if you look at what I'm craving here, I'm craving my mm. childhood. Mm. With all the estate fencing, mm. with the lakes and the ponds mm. and the bridges and everything. Mm. I'm building everything like the fig orchard as a young boy in Italy, watching them harvest the figs. And the farmer bring them over to my mother and my nonna and give them to us and watching them bleed and watching my mother break them open and eating that first fig. I didn't like the stickiness of the milk. I didn't like the texture of the fig, but I liked the flavor. But how I love figs today, they're my favorite fruit and peaches Signor Lorenzo was that little boy. And my brother's working for him, hand-picking the, fig, uh, the uh, peaches. And then bring them over the river. My God. Or picking grapes and the, the juice inside the grapes is warm. 
is extraordinary. Mm. You know, we must drown in our emotions. We must drown in our emotions. Think about it. Because if you can't drown in your emotions, where's life? Absolutely. Let's be a sociopath. I think I already am. <laughs> no, a sociopath is someone who's incapable. If the quick test for a sociopath, someone who is incapable of investing emotionally, yes. Mm. If you can't invest emotionally... Then what is the... Nothing. You have empathy. Yeah. yeah. Come Absolutely. on. Absolutely. I, I love the way you dismiss me. That great confession of being a sociopath. I think. <laughs> Let's not get into there. I'm interviewing Marco. Yeah, Marco's not interviewing me. <laughs> but I want to know... You know, you, you say you come from humble beginnings. Your mother is this, you know, wonderful cook. Well, my what mother, would you, what would you well, be my eating? Mother, my, my mother always used to say, a tree without roots is a piece of wood. Think about it. You have to have roots. If you forget the world you came from, then you disrespect your parents. Mm. You have no roots, do you? Mm. So therefore, we have the choice in life whether, whether we have that choice whether we swim in the shallow end or paddle around, or we swim in the deep end. I've always found the deep end more exciting, more interesting. I love emotional depth. But going back to your question, risotto. I used to sit on the side watching my mother make a risotto, and they never taught me how to make a risotto. But I make the most beautiful one even though I say it myself. Because you learn in life through vision. Mm. It's by watching you learn without realising in that subconscious way all that information is going Absolutely. in. That's so all I did was replicate what mm. my mother used to do. Mm. Okay, yes, I may have made it more refined, mm. but that's my trade. Mm. Or watching my nonna, my auntie Paola, my auntie Luciana, my mother table praying all the veg for the minestrone and I'm sitting with a beautiful girl called Laura I don't know where she is today but she was a wonderful girl and important in my life and I often sit there when I'm on the riverbank thinking I wonder where Laura is today but we, were, we spent a moment in time and when you think when you can spend a moment in time with somebody it's so beautiful I suppose I love, I've always loved it all my life but I haven't seen this since I was 10. Wow. But all those early years, mm. I often think, where is she today? Mm. I hope she's happy. But you know something? Life is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And you know, all those ups, all those downs, all those smiles, all that pain, all contributes to that wonderful, beautiful jigsaw. Think about it. Because mm. our life is a jigsaw. Some people have a hundred pieces, some people have a thousand pieces. It's your choice. How big's your jigsaw? How many pieces does it take to complete it? And also that every piece is different. That's what makes a jigsaw. Absolutely, that's what's so exciting. If they're all about the same, it. it'd be quite boring. Can you imagine incredibly how, boring. Could you imagine the most difficult jigsaw to ever, ever create would be just a white square? Mm. Yes. Mm. As I always say, the only time it white becomes acceptable is when it's a surname. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
You're just being biased now. <laughs> I'm not. As I said, the only time it becomes acceptable is when it's a sober. <laughs> yeah. But my mother did give me a, an extraordinary name. I can imagine being brought on a Leeds Council mm, estate. Being called Marco. Marco Pierre. It was the shittest name in the world. But when you think today for a cook, yeah. how good. It's how delicious. Fabulous name. Oh, it's like, you want to meet the fucking I know. <laughs> I might change my name to Marco Pierre. <laughs> yes. It was nothing to do with his life, it was his name. Exactly. I just wanted to do with the iPod <laughs> or the podcast or whatever it's called. <laughs> I want to just. I hope you're enjoying yourself. I'm. I sort of feel like so mesmerised in this moment that I'm probably never going to forget this encounter. You just think I'm a snake charmer, don't you? No, I don't. I actually think you're incredibly wise, and I've. And I know you keep saying that it's a pleasure to have me, but I, I really feel very honoured. It honored. is a pleasure. But if I do feel very honoured to be in your presence, but I really do. You know do. something? If one person who listens to this podcast, if it contributes their understanding mm. to assist them in unraveling. Maybe a bit of com- emotional confusion, yes? Or ignite something with them, which makes them bang. Yeah. I want to be a cook, whether it's at home or professionally. Beautiful. Yeah. If we can just get one person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Persian cat. Yeah, you know, you know. <laughs> I want to fast forward quite a few well, years. I can see that. Look, you've got all these questions. I know. And, but to be how honest, long is this going n- to n- be? D- well, it depends how long you're going to talk. Well, you know me, I just talk forever. <laughs> I just talk shit. Um, I'm, I'm fast forwarding, actually. because you, 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 you've got so many questions. What, no, because what's so wonderful is you've actually Did I leave my glasses on the last table? Because I've lost my glasses since I first met you. Yes, I think they are. Don't worry, they're This my is mother. the impact you've, your mother and you have had on me. Well, I'll yes. take that as a compliment. You should, actually. <laughs> Confusion. It's like being a fox in a hen house. <laughs> I want to know about the experience you had when you eventually came to London. You had seven quid in your pocket. Seven pounds thirty-six p, to be exact, when I arrived at the Rue Head. And office. what could that get you in those Nothing. days? I walked to work, and there's a very beautiful man. So I used to catch the bus outside Rue Patisserie every morning. Where were you living? I lived in the accommodation in the Albion Hotel, which was like a bedsit. Mm-hmm. It's like it's just. Bed and breakfast, really. Mm-hmm. Albert put me there for one week. And I used to catch the bus. Because the first month I worked in La Gamin before I went to Old Gavroche. Okay. And Ian Ironside, who was a very beautiful man, God bless his soul, he's not with us today. He did his training at the Glen uh, Eagles Hotel and then became the executive pastry chef of the Rue Company. And every morning he would bring me two croissants and a pan au chocolat. He knew I was poor. He knew I was struggling. Never said it, but he knew it. Mm. By his gesture, he'd walk across the road personally, not send them to me, as a member of his staff. He'd bring them like himself. The last time I saw him was when he was head pastry chef of the Inn on the Park in Mayfair. Very kind, very beautiful man. And then he went back to Glen Eagles where he started. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us today. Mm. And I had no money. I'd walk around once with um, Clapham Common. And in my head I would sing the song. I never thought it would happen to me and a girl from Clapham out on that Wendy Common. Last night I had forgotten when she let out the rations and all those other passions. I said, you're a lady. She said, I may be. Starving. My entire weekend was water. I had to fill myself up with water because I had no money to feed myself. Because in Yorkshire you got paid weekly, in London you got paid monthly. Wow. Gosh. 
and you do something, never forget where you came from mm. in life. And always remember the importance of struggle. No matter how rich or how privileged you may come in, become in life, never forget your struggle. Never. And, and never forget the people who were kind to you. Like Ian Einstein was kind to me. Very kind. And so therefore I struggled. But I was a boy with a dream. And my fear sacked. My fear of failure was enormous. So therefore, did I achieve what I achieved because of my fears? Or did I achieve what I achieved because of my talents? Well, my next question was going to be, as you were rising up the ranks, you know, you've worked under so many incredible chefs and at restaurants of theirs. Did you, did you know that you had a talent? The chef tournant of the Rue Company was a man called Mac Bourgeois. Mac Bourgeois was the hardest chef I ever worked for. Why? Just gave me a hard time. Stacked the work on me. Pushed me and pushed me and pushed me and pushed me. But you know something? When you're born humble, working class you watch your mother die yes yeah it takes a lot to break you he almost broke me and three years ago I said to him over lunch I said chef Mark because when they're your chef you're a chef for life <clears throat> I said chef Mark when I was a boy why did you treat me like greatest answer. I knew the answer. I just wanted him to say it. And do you know what he said to me? Because I finally plucked up the courage to ask him that question. All those years after I'd left. All those years after I'd realised my dream of winning three stars in Michelin. Do you know what he said to me? What did he say? This was his answer. And once he gave his answer, it was the end of the conversation. You know why, Michael. You know why. And that was it? End of conversation. Oh, wow. So what he was saying is, you're special, Margaret. Mm. You're rare. And I'm going to push you to the point of breaking to bring out the best in you. Today, you didn't in a tribunal. That's the difference with the world that I came from and the modern world. Mm. You could say that was cruelty, but the reality was, it was either make you marker or break you. You think it's within you. You have that dream. Then let me take you down a road you've never been down before. Let me push you so hard and let me throw it upon you. You're going to crack. Mm. And the truth is, emotionally, internally, I did. But because of my working class roots, I never showed him. And nor would I. Mm. Because the reality is, you can't take shame back to the family. 
you can't go back up north. I'd made that commitment. Yeah. I can't go you back up going. north. You can't go back up north. be yeah. a failure. Yeah. When I went back up north, and there I was with my father, and 13 years later, mm. I'm in tailored clothes. Mm. I have a privilege. Yeah. And the one thing I did, not to put my brothers into a, an insecure position every time I went up north, I give them a thousand pounds each in cash. So they pay for every lunch, every drink, every moment with my father. Why? I know my position in the family. I was the third son. I can't undermine my big brothers. Mm. The boys who protected me when I was young. It's about if I become more successful, wealthier, more privilege, more options. Respect your position within the family. It's like I tell my daughter, never accept red roses. As I tell my sons, only ever send white roses. And they always say, why daddy? You have to be loyal to the house of York. loyal to the house of York how you might not understand that I do understand it good but I just how do your children take <clears throat> your stance in life do they respect how you like like how you're talking to me my daughter loves her father she knows that I will guide her well. Mm. My sons, they love their father, but boys like to lock horns mm. with their father. As I saw my son the other day in a meeting, you learn by listening in a meeting, not by talking. Mm. And they must know that one day they'll be in my position where they have to protect the family. It's all about the family. Everything you do in life is about the family. Every decision you make is about the family. Every investment is about the family. To create protection for the family. Security for the family. But do it in the most romantic way, not a commercial yeah. way. Because if you do it in a, a romantic way, an emotional way, then they become part of it. Absolutely. And they've emotionally invested, not financially invested. Absolutely. Which is a lot deeper. When I was a boy, I was always taught because I was brought up by the Jews after my mother died. The Jews in North Leeds, because my mother used to make toys for them, for the poor working mm. class Jews. And I was brought up in life to be a mensch. John Mensch. Of course I do. My father's Jewish. There you are. Yeah. And I'll tell you an interesting story. On the 19th of March, 1978, I used to caddy on a golf course called Mort Allerton. And Mort Allerton golf course was a golf course for Jews. Because the Yorks wouldn't allow the Jews to play on their golf courses, so they had to have their own golf courses. Mm. Yeah. And I caddied for Mr. Bradley for three years. And this is in my autobiography. I was walking up the 18th fairway. 
It was the last time I was cunning, Mr. Bradley. And Mr. Bradley said to me, he said, he said, Marco, today is a very sad day. It's the last day you'll ever carry for me. But can I say, you've always been punctual. You've never let me down. You've always been respectful. What are you going to do with your life? I was too self-conscious to say, tomorrow morning I'm starting at the Hotel St. George with an apprentice chef. So I said to Mr. Bradley, I don't know Mr. Bradley. And then Mr. Bradley said to me, and delivered the most amazing line. He said, Marco, do you want some advice from an older man? I said, that would be kind, Mr. Bradley. He said, you're not a bad looking boy. He said, go to Miami and be a gigolo. You'll make millions. Unlike, I love Mr. Bradley. And like a schmuck, yes? <laughs> yes. I turned around and said to Mr. Bradley, I'll think about it. <laughs> Cut, I've got to go for a pee. Go. <laughs> that is brilliant. Funny story, isn't it? It's true very story. funny. True story. <laughs> Should we talk about the fact that I had my 18th birthday at your uh, restaurant? I don't think I'd have charged your parents. No, they gave you some photos instead. I don't remember that, but well, I know. I just want to let you know that it was the best night of my life, so thank you. You're very special. <laughs> you have a very, it's actually what I love. I love the fact, I love the fact, whenever I sit with people, I always do one thing. I always form my opinion of that person within, within the first 15 seconds. And what was your first opinion of me? The first 15 seconds, I saw your facial muscles. And I have my answer. Any longer, you allow emotions mm. to impact on your judgment. Mm. How many times have you been introduced to somebody by a friend? Your instincts tell you, don't like this person. Yeah. But because they're your friend, you think... Yeah, story of my life. Exactly, right or wrong. Mm. But when you think, now let me say, do you know somebody who's angry? Do you know an angry person? Yes, I do. Okay. Do their facial mm. muscles represent anger? Mm. Do you know a funny, straightforward, simple, not too bright person? They have no wrinkles. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying yourself. I'm, I'm honestly... And remember, it's not about me exposing my insecurities. No, it's about me exposing yours. It, well, quite, yeah. Because that's how you take control of an interview, is by honesty. Yeah. So if you think the secret, the secret of giving an interview, yes, or a podcast, whatever you want to call it, yes, the way you take control of the journalist is one, by being brutally honest. Because they don't expect you to be mm. brutally honest and emotionally honest. And then every so often, turn the question back on them. And remember, every time I do an interview, I always sit within my own establishment. So before they've even started interviewing me, they're vulnerable. Mm. I don't feel vulnerable. Psychology. But I do, but I do feel... Um, no, you, you know, I, feel no, like you I feel like I'm in the presence of someone who is... Um, A complete and utter lunatic. <laughs> I almost picked up oh, that God. to drink. <laughs> take a drink of the mic. Yes. I swear by all my to God, I'll take it in the mic. <laughs> do you like it here? I love it here. It's, do you know what I said to my mum? I love going to places, like hotels, 
where I sort of feel like I'm at home, but it's an elevated version of home? Well, the most, in, well, number one, what a hotel should be is a home away from home. Exactly. Number one. And most of them number aren't. T- number two, number two. So, therefore, let's break it down. The most important aspect of any hotel or restaurant is the environment you sit in. If you feel comfortable, then you're relaxed. Then you can be yourself. Mm. Number one. Number two, service with a smile. The staff are kind. They spill something, they make a mistake. You don't get upset, do you? No. Service with a smile. Mm. And number three, bring food to a standard at a price point which everyone can afford. Because mm. I believe in democracy. Mm. I believe that an environment should be there for everybody to enjoy and to appreciate. That's where you and I are incredibly similar. I always, I, when I talk to chefs, I've spoken to a lot of chefs. Your left wing. My, huh? It's your left wing. You're a socialist. Um, you might be a champagne socialist mm, or yeah. a rosé <laughs> socialist. <laughs> a Marlborough socialist, yes. whoever. But you are a socialist. I, That's how I know that. I say to people, when I go to a restaurant, let's just talk about a restaurant for a second, oh. that... What? It's always good to do an interview over alcohol. <laughs> what I'm saying, you let, get the me, best ta- out of let the me say what I want to say. Let me speak. Is I want to speak. Obviously the food is mind? important, but if what? the service is not there and the atmosphere is not there and the theatre of being in a restaurant is not there, I will never go back to that restaurant. I don't care how good yeah, the food is. Exactly. How many times do you sit in a Michelin-style restaurant and it's like sitting in the chapel of rest? It's not my... It's not pleasurable. It's not pleasurable. So that's why I say the environment is the most important. So by being in that environment Completely. where you feel comfortable, oh. by feeling comfortable you can be yourself and by being yourself you can express yourself, yeah. yes? And you can start to enjoy yourself. Now bring service with a smile. We have locals here, mm. yes? They're nice young men and women, Yes. And they're kind. Mm. They're kind, they're kind, they're kind, and nothing is too much trouble for them, yes? And then bring food to a standard at a price point. That's it. It's simple, isn't it? I want to ask you something, which I, I want mentioned. to ask you something. <laughs> He's got very comfortable with me now, I can tell. <laughs> He's broke down all barriers. <laughs> and central reservations. I, um, you've been regarded as this first rock and roll chef this idea of a celebrity chef you have when to you... blame the daily mail for that tatler for that and all those other but I, what i want to ask about that is yes. that although you're saying blame these publications you made going out to a restaurant sexy sexy How did glamorous. I the words out? okay can i say something the reality is the reality is if you think about it number one i was a boy in a place at the right time. Why did your father want to take my picture? Why did Alan Davis, God bless his soul, want to take my picture? Why did Bob Carl's Clark want to pay, take my picture? One, I had long hair. Two, I had glamorous girls mm. as part of it, yes. Three, I was naughty, like most boys are when they're young and unfaithful and. Yeah. They're disastrous. You can't invest in them emotionally in any sense, yes? We've all had our heart broken. Exactly. And in return, they broke your heart. But, you know, the reality was, there I was. Because when you think, let's look at the political stage. 
It was Thatcher's Britain. Mm. Thatcher's Britain, yes. Wandsworth was her jewel within her crown. And where was Harvey's? Within her crown. And there was a young boy called Marco Pierre. With a, who had a beautiful mother who passed a few of her genes, and I'm not saying I'm beautiful, my children are, because I'm a great believer. I always advise my, my children. This is very important. Mm. I always say to my children, never punch above your weight. Always punch above your gene pool. It's very important, mm. and I've always punched above my gene pool. And then with my mother's genes, and I can look at my daughter, Mirabar. She's so like my mother. And before you leave today, I'll show you pictures in the next I have seen soon. pictures of her and she's absolutely stunning. But she was a true romanticist. She sacrificed everything mm. because she was sent to England by my nonno to learn English with friends in Leeds. And she met my father. She fell pregnant. Had no, no choice but to marry him. But also what the British government did in those days, in the 50s, to what they did to my mother. And I just recently found this out, because I applied for my Italian passport. To what they did to her. She had to surrender her Italian nationality in the 50s to marry my father. Really? That's what the British government did to Italians. Wow. Okay, it's a bit more paperwork. Mm. Because I'd like an Italian passport, and the reason why I'd like an Italian passport is because of my mother. I may never use it, but it's just that acknowledgement mm. that I've been You're accepted. You're as well. Mm. It goes back to a tree without roots, a piece of wood. Mm. Be emotional. Find that inner strength to share your emotions, mm. to share them off, whether it's on TV whether it's doing a podcast, whether it's doing an interview. Be a mensch. I'm never going to... This word, word has changed. Now that I've met you and you keep using it, I think I I'll always think really of you It's really important. I know. Fall in love with a mensch. Yeah. Yeah. A true man will never let you down. But a man, remember, to be a true man, you've had got to have made a lot of mistakes like I did. Mm. And like if I think of my first wife... Every time I see her now, which we had a child together, yes, I walk away and I always say the same thing to myself. I can see why I married her. Just the wrong time. Mm. But what a special lady. Funny, entertaining, amusing, ridiculously loyal. But almost my opposite. Mm. Made a million mistakes to discover herself. Amazing lady. Amazing. The most beautiful. Have we got to that stage? Yeah, but I'm, I won't be. I can't discuss this on, on my. Uh, I don't want. I don't want the world to know what's truly what, going on. But you've surrendered. See, surrender. You can just say that. That moment of surrender is, without question, the most exciting. And watching you pull on a marble red, and then blow it over me. Is extraordinarily naughty. <laughs> Naughtiness is a quality I greatly admire, by the way. That's because you're naughty. I'm not naughty. I'm like the most conventional person that I oh, know. Oh, please. As I've always said, 
most of my reputation is a product of exaggeration and ignorance. Well, that brings me on to ask you, Do you want something. Do to stay for dinner tonight? You've got to Before ask you my, drive back. You've got to ask my mum. Yeah, I'll tell your mother. <laughs> you, you'll tell my mother of I love course. that. Of <laughs> course. Your mother is a wonderful, wonderful woman I adore. I want to just touch on this thing that you think that people have glamorised, which is this whole sort of this sexy chef, this sexy restaurant, all the models, all the late... You know, but can I say something? Can I say something? You've made a, you've made a statement rather than a question. No, I, I'm getting to the question. Okay, tell me. I thought it was a statement you were making. No, 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 I'm about to... I'm, I'm, okay. I'm, just, I'm just rolling so, it out. Well, into, so, I'm, I'm doing so a story. What I love is the question <laughs> actually... The question justifies... The, 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 the statement justifies the question. I love that. But on, also because I don't like calling these an interview. I call this a... This is what I say to people. It's an engagement. A it's an engagement. having a conversation. This is not me interviewing you. Well, I want a to... conversation, as I've always said, is an exchange of knowledge. Mm. An argument is an exchange of ignorance. <laughs> so you're going to go down as one of these sort of like great philosophers of our time. I don't know, I'm just a member of DENSA. <laughs> I love DENSA. Oh what are you laughing God. at? No, are you just... not a member of DENSA? No, I'm not a member of DENSA. Do you know what DENSA is? <laughs> well, I've, I've heard of it before. Well, no, that's Mensa you've <laughs> heard of. DENSA's the opposite. We've got way more members. We're, 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 we're way more powerful. <laughs> but what I want to know is, you know, you even said that. What I want to know confused. is, is that you grew up in this world, and you've said it yourself a minute ago. I grew up in the I, look the bottom, the bottom no, line. No, Marco. I grew up in the public eye. No, let me get my question out. I, Just wait. You grew up in the kitchens when you were treated a certain way. The industry has changed now. How do you feel about like the chefs that are rising up in the ranks now? Because you're not just a chef, Marco. You're lots of things, but it's the personality and it's the character. Well, so what you're saying, when you say the word lots of things, what you're implying is that I'm very fucked up. And no, I agree. you're not fucked up. Oh, I'm no, fucked no, up completely. We're all fucked up. I love fucked up. I love fucked up. Okay, it's my but favorite. what I'm trying to say... Can you imagine putting your... It's his occupation, <laughs> fucked up. That's <laughs> his LinkedIn profile. Yeah. Occupation, fucked up, messed up, But what I'm done. saying is, do you think that we've got those kinds of characters coming through the ranks now? Because I, I think see. the industry's changed a lot. Hannah, can I say something? In my time on this earth, yes, the one thing that I've realised is that the only thing that doesn't date is romance. And now you have to ask yourself this question. Do people drown in celebrity? And that's what rules them and fuels them. Or do they drown in romance and fucked upness? Sorry for swearing. That's okay, you're allowed to. And I chose to be a rocker and not a mod. Mm. And every boy has to decide whether he's a rocker. We'll come on to girls in a moment. I once went to the parade of shops on my couch to say when I was a kid with my mother. And she went into the shops, and as she went into the shops, this rocker pulled up on his bike with his leathers and his greasy, oily, dirty, delicious fingers. I watched him take off his helmet. And in those days, they sat it on their seat. He walked, in, he walked past me and walked into the shop.
turned around and watched him walk into the shop where my mother had gone. I then went to his bike and I squatted down in front of his bike. I must have been four years old. I looked at his exhaust. I could feel the warmth of it. It was amazing. I could see rainbows in the chrome. Rainbows. And I touched it. I put my finger. My finger stuck to his That's what it's speaking. And on reflection, that was my initiation. That was the day I became a rocker. That was the day I realised that every boy has to make that decision. Mm. Are they a rocker or are they a mod? Mm. And the difference is a rocker strips his engine down, puts it back together, gets dirty, gets greasy, gets oily. Yeah. A mod is in a parker with a long aerial with a flag and a scooter. Yeah. Make your choice, boy. Make your choice. What do you think I am? That every girl then has to choose whether she falls in love <laughs> with a rocker or a mod. And you fell in love with a rocker. <laughs> do you know what my middle name is? Harley. Why is it Harley? Great name. Of course. There's only one bike. Yeah. So therefore... You understand where I'm coming from? Yeah, absolutely. And you know something? And you know something? Very few rockers succeed because the establishment crushes them. If you look at the Hell's Angels, Biffa, the head of the Hell's Angels, <clears throat> who created it in the 60s for the UK, yes? Mm -hmm. Do you know the rules of the Hell's Angels? Do you know the rules? Not really. Okay. It's all about badges. Yeah. And elevating yourself mm -hmm. up the ranks, yes? Amazing. So working class. So proper. So old-fashioned. You serve your apprenticeship. So, you're a hell's angel, yes? I'm an apprentice. You live down the road. I live down the road, yes? You're ill. You're suffering. My job is, I'm told to go and look after you. Shop for you, cook for you, feed for you, look after you. If you're dying, that's what I do. That's my job as a mm. house angel, mm. yes. You go, to, you go just off the strand to their head offices, to church. You clean the loose. And you have to have a very good reason why you don't turn up. Mm. You have to have a good reason. It's proper working class values. When you go into a pub, you never sit down. You stand with your back to the wall and hold your pipe. You sell drugs. You get involved in drugs. You're stripped of all your badges. Old fashioned, isn't it? And Biffa has taken more kids off fucking heroin than anyone I know. Wow. And people look at the image of the Hells Angels. But the Hells Angels, like the pistols, like the sex pistols, have never sold out. The sex pistols still own all their rights to their music. The Hells Angels never sold their brand. Mm. And how many corporates want to buy their brand? Everyone. And roll it out. Yeah. It's the coolest brand in the world. And it could be bigger than all of them. 
but they stay loyal to their core. And I buy into the pistols when they have their bulldog bash, yes. Do you know they never have it? They never have security, you know that? Mm. They don't need it, do they? Mm. Everyone stays in line because everyone's disciplined. Mm. But you have to go to church with the pistol, with the, um, the Hells Angels every Friday after the Strand. There you are. That's the Hells Angels. They stay loyal to their core. And we love a rocker. Let's be honest, if you fall in love with a mod, what a boring life. <laughs> what a boring life. Forget Speaking it. Speaking of rockers, um, that makes me also think of a very Anthony dear Bourdain. friend of yours. You read my mind. Now well, they're in a, sync. He was a proper rocker. Did you yeah. see what he put on the front of my book? Yes, I did. Mark P. White made it. Yes. He the first rock and roll chef. He made history. Beautiful boy. Mm. And when you think of his second book, yes, he... I've, I mean, I th for me, I he mean, is... He was... He was the most extraordinary. He did more for our industry than Michelin. Mm. He made it cool. Michelin made it middle class, made it mod. He oh, made it rock and roll so and sexy. True. So true. And that's what Anthony did. And I loved him dearly and I still miss him to this day. And just before he died, I filmed with him. Beautiful boy and I could see he had difficulties at the time. Mm. He wasn't himself, but you know something? He was always kind, always beautiful, always real. And within all the people I've met within my industry, I've never met anyone more kind than Anthony, more beautiful than Anthony, mm. more rock and roll than Anthony. And you know something? And now I'm gonna swear, he was a good looking fucker. He was fucking cool. He knew something. Being a Catholic boy, <laughs> none, of us, none of us can hold a candle to him. Yeah. There we have it. Yeah. And that was the great Anthony Bourdain. My friend, one of the people I admire the most. And um, most people bore me. He excited me. Mm. He made me feel alive. And eating dinner with him was fucking delicious. I remember one day we had dinner together, yes. So I took him for his first, I took him, we were filming, yes, in the early days. Yeah. I took him deer stalking, yes. He'd never shot a rifle in his life, yes. We find the deer, we find the deer, yes. And because we're filming, we have to shoot it out of a Range Rover. Because mm -hmm. you can't go with a herd of camera crew, yes. Have I seen that? I think yeah, I've yeah, seen yeah, 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 this was on the... Yeah, oh, yeah. this is hilarious, yes, this is hilarious, mm. yes. So we have to do it in the range... So yeah. we've, got, we've got all the cameramen and yeah, everything yeah, yeah. in the range room, yeah. yes. It's the only way we can do it, yes. Because <laughs> you can't take a herd of elephants to look for a deer, yes. Yeah. There it is, Anthony. Anthony, I give him the gun. Bang, it goes off. He hasn't even looked through the sight, <laughs> yes. He shoots it dead. No. Because oh the, yeah. the gun went off without him even looking through the telescopic sight. He's just... The fucking deer is dead. And so then we have to fake the shot. So we go through oh, the woods. No. We fake it, but actually we shot out of a car, yes. We shot out of a Range Rover, yes. Great plug for Range Rover. And I mean, and I blooded him. I don't even put that in his film. Because when you shoot your first deer, yes, where the bullet hole went, you put your finger in the bullet hole, yes. Mm. And then the person who shot it, I put the, my finger in the bullet hole, yes. Bang, with a cover in the blood, yes. 
and I crisscross it on his head. And that's called being blooded. And then we go back to the yew tree. And then we've cut the head off because he's got the horns, yes? He's got the horns, yes? And there's the head on the table, yes? And we eat the liver, the heart and the kidneys because that's the time to eat it, yes? Bang. And we eat it there. But shall I let you into a little secret? Always. And it's not unveiled yet. Jimmy had his auction with all his things. Anthony. Hmm. Okay. Do you see this? The big, the big auction with 200 yeah, lots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bought all the artworks. And I had to buy some of the things back I'd given him. <laughs> for a lot more than I'd oh paid God. for them. But the reality is, is the knife, which was a, the prime, his personal knife, yes, we bought for a quarter of a million dollars. Wow. So we spent a million dollars on his things, yes. And I will unveil that. So it's all been box framed in that museum quality, all his artworks and everything, oh. to go on exhibition. Oh, how fabulous. So we build a monument. So, because what I couldn't oh, wow. cope with, I couldn't cope with his collection being dispersed around of the world. Of course, of course. So I bought everything, yes, including his bedroom, to create a museum for Anthony in memory of him. That's incredible. And what, what, is it, what does his collection include? Jacques Papin scratch, or oh, masses, 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 his knives is massive. Yeah. So I bought nearly 60 lots. Wow. I wasn't interested in his glasses or his mm -hmm. coats or anything. That's incredible. Yeah. You're the first person I've told. Well, I feel very apart honored apart from my, told me that. In, in this sort of sense, in uh, my personal friends know that I do, very mm. few of them, my inner circle. Am I part of the inner circle now? Of course, because you're your mother and father. Okay. You're an honorary member, darling okay. girl. Yeah, I've spent my life being an honorary member. Yes. No, need, no need for a subscription fee. Are you interested in getting your stars back? No, of course not. Why? Why would I be interested in, in being given something by people who have less knowledge? And who are mods? That's what they are. They're mods, they're See, not I rockers. To you. And by listening, you learn. Do you like rockers or do you like mods? I'm a, a rocker. Good, of course. I've been raised by rockers. I am a rocker. Yeah. I will raise rockers, I hope. Of course. Breed them and then raise them. Not raise them, breed them. I'm going to ask questions that you asked me earlier. Oh, good. I like, uh, I like reverse psychology. Well, you didn't really ask me, but you, you, you spoke about it before we recorded. Are chefs artists? Well, that's the most common question I'm asked. Are chefs artists? Okay, is the question you should ask yourself, really. What, who is an artist? Okay, this is my interpretation. Your listeners may disagree with me. And that's fine, because everyone's allowed to disagree. A man, being a man or a woman, who works with their hands, is a labourer. A man who works with his hands and his brain 
to prosper. But a man who works with his hands, his brain and his heart, is an artist. I work with very few of them. Learn the whole. The reason why most people never create, become artists is because they compromise themselves for fame, for wealth, for family. They stop to continue that sacrifice. Mm. Think about it, my friend. Talk about the heart. I think that's probably um, the, one of the most profound things someone's told me. He keeps... <laughs> He keeps trying to grab the mic to drink it. I mean, you're more than welcome to. <laughs> I'm sure it tastes delicious. What has been your greatest achievement? I've been asked that many times as well. Winning one star, two star, three star, chef of the year by your hotel of the year, a restaurant of the year by your all the whatever. There's lots. My dream as a young man was to win three stars with five red knives and forks. And I was the only restaurant for nearly 50 years in Britain to achieve that. But that wasn't it. So obvious for me to say that. But on reflection of my life, for five years, the Oxford Union asked me to address them. I said no. On the fifth year, I said yes. And this is why being invited to Oxford to address the union is without question the greatest achievement of my life. It's because I left school early. I didn't do my qualifications. I left school without qualifications. And to, to have been invited to the Oxford Union to address them, one of the great institutions or educational institutions of the world, and to share your story with them, to inspire them, is without question the greatest achievement of my life. Because for Oxford to invite a man from humble beginnings with no qualifications, they regard it as important. Mm. And that's the word important. It was the greatest achievement of my life. Then that brings me on to ask you what is your legacy? My children. For all their failings, for all their whatever successes they have in life. Like today, I spend five days a week with my daughter, guiding her, inspiring her, giving her responsibility. Because by giving her responsibility, she has duty. Mm. As I say to my daughter, you will never have to work in your life. But you have to work hard for what your father has given you, if you wish to keep it. My son, he's building his chain of restaurants. He'll have to work hard to keep it. 
Because when you give in life, the more you give someone, the more responsibility you give someone. And then they have a duty to, to respect it. Mm. And to continue it. And by doing that, you create security for your family. You have a duty. And it's all about duty in life. And responsibility. And when I'm dead, I'll still protect my children from the grave. And that's important to me. Mm. And the, the time they spent with me, and the knowledge within those memories, today they may not listen to me. But like my mother, the time I spent with her, that little time. See, I had two mothers in my life. My mother was my mother, who gave birth to me. And I... And I... Um, it took me a long time to overcome her death. But I was... My brothers were six and seven years older than me. And my younger brother was only 13 days old when my mother died, so he was six years younger than me. He went to live in Italy. My older brothers weren't interested in me. My father used to go off to work. So I was alone. I turned to nature. My mother, who gave birth to me, was my mother. But then my mother, after that, was Mother Nature. Mm. She became my surrogate mother. She taught me so much. Spending time with nature, watching nature, taught me so much. What she taught me assisted in me realizing my dream, suppressing my insecurities, winning three stars. Or I reflect back on life. Those three stars, all they were, were little stepping stones to where I wanted to go. And the reason why I retired is because I didn't want to lie. Pretend I cook when I don't cook. And I accept a chef can stray from the stove. But he must always stay close to the flame. And maybe my failure in life has always been to be a romanticist. Maybe I should have listened to the accountant. Maybe I should have diluted myself and prostituted myself. But I can't. I stay loyal to my world. I'll always be an apprentice. I'll always fly the flag for my industry. I'll always be correct. I'll always do the right thing. And yes, I have made mistakes. But I'd like to think that I've rectified them along the way take the knowledge from them. I hope you've got what you wanted from me. And I hope I don't bore your listeners. I hope I haven't bored you. No, I think this I is a I've, profound conversation. I hope I've given and shared your parents' respect. You have. And I think by doing what you've done throughout your life, you've not only honoured your mother, but you've honoured yourself and you've stayed true. 
to everything that you are and I think that's so important because there's so few people that do that. There's only one thing to say. Let's be a rocker. <laughs> be a rocker. Get your hands dirty. Roll up your sleeves, get your hands dirty. Get stuck in. You know something? Be a little too pets. For all they're good and all they're bad. Mm. Because if we think about it, no matter how much our parents love us, they harm us in one way or another. It's our job to unravel the emotional confusion and to move forward in life and to capitalise and create security for our family. That's it. Amen. All men. All men. All women. <laughs> I suppose in this day and age you'd have to say all men and all women. Well, yeah. Well, we've, that's a different conversation. Um, it sort of feels so uh, trivial to end this with my signature final questions, mm. which I ask everyone. And they're meant to be quick fire. Okay? Okay, fine. So, what's the craziest food you've ever eaten? Well, I don't think of crazy. I think of delicious. Go on. Tendons, beef tendons, braised, steamed for five hours, then braised in sort of stock with spices in that sort, sort of delicious Singaporean way. Ooh. Sensational. But then I serve them with a god de boeuf. Yes. A river beef, yes, bang. To place the marabou, which is very classically French with red wine sauce. Sensational. I hope that answers your question. What's been your most memorable meal? When I think of memorable meals, it's not the food that I eat, it's the people I sit with. That's what's important to me, the people I sit with. I could have a simple cheese sandwich yeah. with onion, yeah. if I love them. And so therefore, that's what's memorable to me. And my favourite, favourite place on earth, I have two of them. And they don't serve the best food in the world, but the, most, the, 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 the environment, the service, everything's so magical. La Colombe d'Or in St. Paul de Vence, <laughs> which I love. Yeah. And Harry's Bar in Venice. <laughs> Two of my favourite You're stepping back yes. in time. Yes. And that's yes. why I love us. As I said, I love the romance. So you step back in time. You, know, you sit on the Hemingway's table. Okay, when you walk in, they tell you every table is Hemingway's table, yes. Okay. But the truth is, there's when one. you walk in, there's two of them. <laughs> yeah. There's the one on the left okay, corner and the one on the right yeah. corner. And that's it, bang. And you've got the politicians, politicians mm -hmm. table on the, uh, on the left. Now, Harry's Bar... And La Colombe d'Or. I'm glad you like La Colombe d'Or and Harry's oh, Bar. I, both of them I have been to. And my favourite restaurant in London is Riva with André. So I'm going to disappoint you and say that I have not been there. I know it. And I'm desperate to go. Nice. I, I know, nice. I know. Can you say something? Is it technically the best food in the world? No. But it's not you know something? André, I have my table. I sit on my table, which is around the corner where no one can see mm -hmm. me. He brings me a bottle of Cheval Blanc or a Moutin Rothschild or a, uh, <laughs> what are you laughing at, or a Petrus or mm -hmm, something. Mm -hmm. But he sells it to me at the price he paid for it with plus 10%. I love it. <laughs> I love an old-fashioned restaurateur. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like Peter Lang was a wonderful, wonderful restaurateur, mm -hmm. which your father would tell you. Mm -hmm. And I use his line all the time. Which was? It's the greatest restaurant line ever created by the great Peter Langham. The only thing on the house is the roof. <laughs> Touche. As he's laying on the floor. Touché. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. Yeah, exactly. My favourite snack of all time is a packet of crisps. What's your favourite flavour of crisps? I just like plain salted. Why? 
I like the simplicity of them. I like the simplicity. I don't like complicated. Look, mm. the more you do to food, yeah. the more you take away from her. Here's something. So keep her simple. Yeah. It's like a chip. You get a chip, yes. It's delicious. A little bit of crystals, a little salt, a little bit of milk, vinegar, bang. Done. What does it do? You've got to understand how food impacts on the palate. Bang. You have your chip, you have your crisp, yes. Bang, what does the salt do? It gets the juices mm. running. Mm -hmm. The saliva starts to pour, yes. And it exaggerates the sensation which then goes back to the emotional impact of what food has on you. Why confuse it? I want plain salted chips, uh, crisps or chips. So, I don't think anyone's ever made a, a, a crisp sound so romantic and... So delicious and, and so romantic. Delicious. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what food sums up happiness for you? Something that's deliciously comforting. Something which is warm, which is delicious when I'm hungry. I drowned in her, bang, and indulge in her. Because if you can't drown, if you can't indulge, how can you enjoy? Absolutely. Let's get lost. Let's get fucked up. Let's go down a road we've never been down before. I love it. I'm being honest. No, I know. And the final question. The final question, my friend. You're sounding like Hercule Poirot, my friend. <laughs> I love Poirot. Live to eat or eat to live? The reality is, is if we don't eat, we fucking die. So therefore we have to eat to live, yes? And if you're going to eat to live, then fucking make it delicious. I'll to use something, all those delicious things like butter, salt, which are really good for the left-hand side of the body. They may kill you young, but who wants to grow old and have a boring life? Let's indulge, let's drown, let's get fucked up, let's eat salt and butter because it makes everything taste more delicious because there's nothing more boring than fucking eating under-seasoned fucking food. Think about it. It's your choice. Just think about it and drown, then die. And on that note, I'm going to say thank you so much. <laughs> If only you could see what he was doing right now. <laughs> Marco, I think this has been the most um, profound day of my life. You are... To your mother and father, and I wish you well with your success in your future. And to, you, and this. Thank and you to for your, your time. mother and father. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. If you love what you hear, please subscribe and review. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Crazy Sexy Food and check out the Crazy Sexy Food YouTube channel. Until next time, bye.